Welcome to Beyond the Balance Sheet, the podcast that helps advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families understand the complexities of issues related to our mental, physical, and emotional well-being. Our co-hosts, Arden O'Connor and Diana Clark, will interview a series of guests on a range of topics, providing informative content and practical tools for professionals and families to consider. Here are your hosts, Arden and Diana. Hi, and welcome to an episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. Today, we're going to talk about integrative medicine, healthy aging, nutrition, and brain health. Our guest is Dr. James Greenblatt, who is an acknowledged integrative medicine expert, educator, and author of many books. Dr. Greenblatt has lectured internationally on scientific evidence for nutritional interventions in psychiatry and mental illness. He Today, we're going to be talking more about this integrative medicine for Alzheimer's and what nutrition and brain health links have been found. So thank you, Dr. Greenblatt. Welcome. Uh, thank you. It's uh, very nice to be with you. So let's just start with the very beginning. What role does nutrition play in mental health? And then we can talk about cognitive decline. How's that? Uh, great. I mean, you know, if, if we think about uh, the, the brain as um, the, uh, only weighing a couple pounds, so it's an organ that weighs two or three pounds, but utilizes 25% of the metabolic energy at any one time. So think about that, the metabolic energy. And to make energy in the body, you need vitamins and minerals. So nutritional deficiencies will affect brain function before any other physical manifestation. So nutrition and nutritional deficiencies has profound implications for the brain, our most metabolically active organ in the body. I did not know that. So that makes sense for cognitive processing. What about emotional processing? Is it similar in that way? It's, it's the same. Our ability to regulate emotions is based on hundreds of, of chemicals, neurotransmitters, and these chemicals require vitamin and mineral cofactors for synthesis, and they require protein, and they require essential fats for optimal functioning. So you can think of it in any way, a, a car that needs the right fuel, um, and nutrition is that fuel, and it's not just calories, and that's what has been confusing. It is the vitamin and mineral cofactors, and we have 30 and 40 years of research demonstrating uh, this uh, very uh, simple uh, connection. So when you talk about vitamins and minerals, can you name a few of the more common ones that we would know? Sure, but, but before I do that, one of the things I don't want to do is what I criticize is, you know, you see on the social media or Facebook and someone says, you know, what do I take for depression? No, what I'm do not I take asking you that, of course. And, and, um, of course. But, but that's what's happening when people say, take this B vitamin or this vitamin. But I, I yeah. think some of the, the, the very simple ones where we have years of research as well as easily uh, tested are things like vitamin B12, like mm -hmm. folate, like vitamin D. Now, those are very, very common and not everyone is deficient. 
but we have incredibly um, good research looking at deficiencies of some of those B vitamins over extended period of time, as well as vitamin D, would dramatically increase the risk of Alzheimer's. Wow. I think that I have been under some ill notion, Dr. Greenblatt, that basically it was fate, luck or no luck, whether you got Alzheimer's. Well, there's and a huge yeah. amount of, of genetics and, and, and we can call that luck or, or, or gifts from our ancestors. But yes, genetics play a huge role. But, but what is that genetic environmental uh, interaction? And, and that is often um, uh, nutritional or biochemical. It certainly, we now understand the role of uh, relationships and social and stimulating the brain. So there are many, many factors for optimal brain health. But as a, as a psychiatrist, I just got very um, impassioned and, and somewhat angry that some of these simple tests to determine a 40 or 50 year old's risk for dementia was not routinely done in medical practices. That is surprising given that the aim of medical practices is that we all be able to age in some ways. <laughs> and I think that looking at aging, we have to look at cognitive decline. I think prevention is just not something we think about in psychiatry and mental health treatment. You know, we treat the crisis, you know, in cardiology and other fields, we, we think about, you know, preventing heart disease, preventing um, cancer, but, um, mental illness or cognitive decline, we, we're not as aggressively doing research on models of prevention. Absolutely. So speaking of which, in your book, you talk about the benefits of certain vitamins, minerals, particularly natural lithium for the prevention of dementia. And I'm not, again, we are not suggesting people go and get a prescription for lithium and figure out how to take it. But how is lithium as a mineral linked to dementia and are there any risks associated with it? Uh, this has been, you know, the core of my life's work for 30 years. Um, as a psychiatrist, I prescribe lithium as a pharmaceutical for bipolar illness, but there are side effects. But what I'm referring to is lithium as an element, a nutritional lithium, which is in our soil. It's in our water supply. Every um, individual requires a very tiny amount of lithium. It was actually been around since uh, the Big Bang. It was one of the first elements in the planet Earth, and it's in our water supply. So as we get small amounts of lithium, we've been able to determine that these small amounts can actually prevent Alzheimer's. And we look at individuals that have lithium in the water supply, lower rates of Alzheimer's. It's, it's pretty dramatic. And, and now we have research studies looking at giving lithium and to prevent uh, Alzheimer's for those with early cognitive decline. That is really fascinating. So now my next question is, because you and I talked about this before the show started, my father, who has been a guest on this podcast, has bipolar disorder and was on lithium for many, many years. 
Has there been any research suggesting that people who are on lithium for other diagnostic purposes are also equally as um, protected in some ways from that lithium? Absolutely. That's what started this whole discussion many, many years ago. Um, if someone's been on lithium for over a year, there is for bipolar illness, prescription lithium, there is a decreased incidence of Alzheimer's. Doesn't mean not everyone will get it, but a clearly identified decreased incidence of Alzheimer's disease for those who have taken prescription lithium. Now, long-term prescription lithium might have side effects and we have newer studies looking at lower dose, doses lower than we would use for someone with bipolar, having pretty dramatic uh, preventative um, mechanisms for the progression to Alzheimer's. I'm really blown away. Excuse the <laughs> expression, but I really am. I have not heard of this. And I consider myself a relatively educated person about health and burgeoning research. So is this pretty quiet? Are doctors currently prescribing this or is this really cutting edge at this point? Um, there are some very well-respected academic psychiatrists who don't recommend nutritional supplements, who don't believe in uh, a lot of this integrative medicine work, but themselves take low-dose lithium because the uh, research is so clear and prescribe low-dose lithium to their patients to prevent cognitive decline. But I, I think the world that, um, you know, I'm lecturing and speaking to patients and families about with this low-dose lithium, which is available over the counter, that is um, newer, and um, but there are articles and books and plenty of research supporting very low-dose lithium has profound effects on brain function. So switching topics, what, or same topic, but a little different thread, what are some of the most commonly missed um, diagnoses in older adults that you see? Well, I think it's uh, at least the three things we just mentioned is uh, not checking or adequately optimizing someone's vitamin D level. Vitamin D is not just for um, absorption of calcium in bones. Vitamin D affects brain function. It helps make serotonin a chemical in the brain. And low vitamin D has been associated with depression and Alzheimer's. Simple, simple test should be done on everyone and should be optimized as we age. Vitamin B12, again, simple blood test, inexpensive, should be optimized as we age, has a profound influences on uh, cognitive uh, decline. The, the other kind of you know nutrients are, are just simple blood tests that are ignored. Iron deficiency anemia um, is often ignored. Um, in, in those that are aging. But, our, you know, our role is to kind of help clinicians and patients understand that some very simple blood tests can help you kind of prevent. And, and probably one of the most important things I can say, which is clearly established in the research, is, is Alzheimer's is not a disease we get overnight. Uh, Alzheimer's is a, a progressive decline um, of uh, 
pathological changes in the brain that probably occurs over 30 to 40 years. So the earlier that we can intervene, look at these nutrient levels, you know, provide the emotional and psychological support, the earlier we're gonna prevent that physiological decline. So what are the other sort of non-nutritional things you recommend for people for maximum integrative health? You mentioned relationships. Are they really important to people? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think we have really good research around um, our connections to, to family and others uh, being supportive uh, as we age and people living better. Uh, optimism and a goal is, is critically important. Uh, movement um, doesn't have to be going to the gym, but, but movement is critically important. Uh, faith and spirituality has also been shown to, to help. And, and, you know, stimulating the brain and uh, doing uh, something. Um, so there's a, a constellation of what we call lifestyle. Um, and then the, wor the world that I focus in on is what's called functional medicine, looking at more biochemical parameters. And that kind of combination with stress being that kind of modulator is, is really uh, the goal for, for healthy aging that we can kind of go beyond that genetic um, loading that, that sets us up. Genetic loading, can you describe a little bit about what that means? Sure, I mean, you know, uh, we have families um, uh, where people are typically uh, living to longer life um, and um, there's a genetic component to that. And there are also individuals with risk factors uh, for Alzheimer's and other genetic vulnerabilities. And so there is a, a, a genetic vulnerability that, that, that plays um, a role in our health, but it, it's kind of not destiny. It's not genetic destiny. These are genes that can be uh, changed or supported by healthy uh, lifestyle and certainly uh, nutrient-dense food. And that individual testing that I described so we can optimize brain function. So if I were a... 63-year-old woman, which I am, walking into your office and I was struggling with a depressive disorder of some kind and I'm reporting symptoms of depression, the first thing you would do would be what? First thing I would do is what every other medical specialty does. I would look for the reason why. And, and that would include a history. Was there a sudden loss, a grief, divorce, stress? But I'd also look at biochemistry. I would do blood tests, uh, thyroid. As you age, your thyroid function might change, and that's a risk factor for depression. Now, we learned that in medical school 40 years ago, but a study just came out two weeks ago, like it was brand new information saying the same thing. Guess what? Low thyroid affects depression. So particularly an aging woman, common hypothyroidism and Common complaint might be fatigue, but for someone else, it might just be sadness. And we would drop blood tests, B12, vitamin D, iron, thyroid. And we would want to have some objective measures to see what might be contributing to the depression. It doesn't mean there's not a role for the symptomatic-based treatment, which could be the antidepressant. But without looking at an underlying cause, these medicines are only... Uh, partially uh, helpful.
So what I'm really impressed by with what I'm hearing is that you're no longer treating illnesses that occur in the neck up from the neck up, right? You're looking Absolutely. at the whole I, I yeah. used to start start most of my talks, uh, Dana, with a slide that you know did, uh, a, a man who didn't have a neck. So there was just this gap here, you know, saying psychiatrists forgot we have a neck. You know, they forgot basic anatomy. There's a neck that connects our body to our brain. Absolutely. Yeah. And even you know, you remember Phineas Gage the man with yes. the spike in front of his head. You know, that was when I got, oh, right, people change not just from what goes on in their head, but all over their bodies, all over their bodies affects our thinking, our emotions, our stability, our visions of ourselves. Yes, and, and, and too common, you know, clinicians just focus on one thing. It could be from the body or from the head. And, and that's kind of the answer to everyone's question. The challenge in our field is that everyone is different. Our stories are different, our genetics are different, and our environments are different. And what we do with all those things combined makes for a very uh, challenging, sometimes detective work. But I think, as you said, we have to connect the brain with the body. Right. Is there anything else, any sort of case study that you have encountered lately that would be something you'd like to talk about? Well, I mean, I, I see cases all the time, but you know, we're, since we're talking about cognitive decline, um, some of the simplest, I, I have two, you know, relatively recent of, um, of a gentleman, you know, one in the 50s and one in the early 60s with, with memory problems. And, and one was because they were taking a medication, a, a statin, and their cholesterol used to be high, but nobody checked it for years. And the cholesterol went very, very low. And low cholesterol is associated with poor memory and cognitive decline. So if someone's on a statin, you have to monitor the cholesterol. And then the, the second case I saw recently was just, as I described, vitamin B12. Someone who had longstanding vitamin B12, because I looked at labs from the past, where their doctor said the level was normal and it, it was actually low and it was untreated for years. Memory was impaired. The family was worried that could this be Alzheimer's? And, and with B12, with one simple intervention, you know, the cognitive capacity um, uh, became uh, better, improved, and there was not this fear of someone slipping into dementia or Alzheimer's. For both the person, I would imagine, and the family, right? So how quickly would B12 reverse something like a, or reverse may not be the right word, but give somebody more access to memory? It depends, you know, how long it's been going on. And that's that's the key. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the advocacy that we, we all have to do. Because if we were testing routine blood tests once a year in a 50-year-old that's very different than if um, someone waited till they were 62 and had 12 years of low vitamin B12 affecting brain function. So it depends. We use B12 injections uh, for more rapid absorption, but for some individuals, uh, certainly fatigue improves quickly. And if the memory is early, um, caught early, it can be completely reversed. 
So there is some pretty rapid responses to optimizing uh, vitamin B12. Well, thank you, Dr. Greenblatt. I don't know about the rest of our audience, but I know I am going to my PCP and asking for some blood work here shortly and to get the information because that sounds and makes enormous sense to me to explore all of my functioning, including my vitamins, minerals, and other neurochemicals. Thank you. Absolutely. And then the treatment becomes individualized because not everybody who has memory issues has low B12. But if two out of 10 people do, we can make dramatic improvements in their life and look for the other reasons for the others. Thank you. Thank you. One of the messages I got on this episode, whether you meant to or not, was don't be passive. Get the information you need. If you're experiencing some memory loss or you don't know what's going on inside of yourself, do a little advocacy. Ask for those tests. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, for our guests, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. If you want to pass it on or share it with others, please do so on your platform of choice. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Balance Sheet, a podcast designed to help advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families solve some of their biggest medical, psychiatric, and emotional challenges. Visit beyondthebalancesheet.com to read more about our guests and resources and sign up for our newsletter.